0: Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. My name is, uh, my name is Sean, and uh, I am one of the pastors here at, uh, at Mercy Commons. And uh, it's, a, it's a privilege this morning for me to close out our Luke series. We've, uh, we've been, since last August, we have uh, we've seen Jesus consistently inviting anyone and everyone who would come to the table that he was preparing. We've been watching uh, Jesus' life and ministry through Luke's eyes. And Luke's gospel, uh, Luke's gospel is essentially um, part A, Acts, uh, the, the book of Acts is part B. Luke wrote both of them. And, uh, and so we close our journey this morning. Nick preached out of Acts uh, last, uh, last week. And this week, I'm going to wrap us up by looking at the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2. Uh, just a quick note, um, next week is Mother's Day. Come on, we, we all got here by moms. so like, Yay moms. So um, uh, Val and I, and, uh, Nick and Karn, we're, uh, we're all going to be in the UK together. We're going to the Advanced Global uh, Conference. Um, but you are in good hands. Not only will Neil and Jack be here, but uh, our very own Katie Sappington is preaching on Mother's Day. I'm, uh, I'm grateful it's being recorded, Katie, so I, I, so I don't get to miss out. <laughs> uh, uh, last week, Nick did a great job of drawing our attention to a really often overlooked but critical aspect of what Jesus accomplished um, in, in his overarching story, and that was the ascension Uh, When he was bodily, this bodily and resurrected Jesus um, took his place and was crowned Lord of all. Our passage this morning is all about how the same invitation to the table that we have been studying since August. The same pursuit of those who are lost, the same healing, deliverance, and rescue. It continues through the work of the Holy Spirit in and through an empowered church. We pick up the story right after Jesus has ascended and disappeared. We find that the disciples are doing what Jesus instructed them to do. They're waiting with one another in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. Now, you might be wondering, what is the promise of the Father? The good news is Jesus tells us very clearly, and he told them what the promise of the Father was. He said, this is what you heard from me, for John baptized in water but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The promise of the Father is that his disciples, his students, are going to experience an immersion, a baptism of the Holy Spirit. I want you to hang with me. Uh, we're going to read all of chapter 2 together. We're going to read the whole thing together. And then I'm going to circle, I'm going to circle back on three uh, three things that we can see from this, pa- uh, from this passage. Uh, we're going to look at how the baton of Jesus' mission has been passed to the church. We're going to see how the Spirit empowers us to run. And we're going to see that the gathered physical church helps us stay on course. Okay, those are the three things we're going to look at. And if you would join with me, I want to pray, uh, pray, for, pray, pray for our time. Holy Spirit, we invite you. We know that you are with us. Father, I ask that you would bless the reading of your word, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see, that you would lift our heads because you desire to look at our faces. Teach us. Help me as I comment on your word, Lord. Let my words fall to the ground and let your words stand. In Jesus' name, amen. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what in the world is happening? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had Way too much to drink. Then Peter stood up with the 11 and he raised his voice and he answered the crowd, fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. (laughs) Pretty practical. Pro, Pro tip. That's a pro tip. in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth, You will not let your Holy One's seed decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you pretty confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is right over there. To this day, he's here, but he was a prophet. He was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised on an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, "'The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this.'" God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what, what are we going to do? What should we do? Peter replied, repent, turn around, return, change and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to the number that They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. There is a lot happening in this chapter The first thing I just want to point out is that what we are witnessing here is the birth of the church. It's the birth of the church. This is the moment that the baton is passed to the church. It's a baton pass because it's not a different race. It's not a different race. It's a new leg of the same race. It's the same mission. It's the same thing God has been up to since the very beginning. But now we move into the final chapter of the story, the final leg of the race it's the beginning of the end. This is the beginning of the end. What do you mean by that, Sean? (laughs) You may be like, good question. We're going to bounce around a little bit to answer that question, but I want to draw your attention to the middle of Peter's very first sermon on how the baton is passed to the church. It's not a new race. Peter's trying to literally explain the reality of what's going on. I mean, people are speaking in a different tongue, and there's commotion, and there's all sorts of things actually happening. I'm sure they're experiencing great joy, right? Because people thought they were drunk. It's not just because they were saying dumb things. I'm sure they were really happy and filled filled with joy. There's something stirring. So Peter stands up and quotes the prophet Joel. Okay, this is a prophecy in the Jewish understanding of the end. It's a prophecy of the end. It speaks of a time when God would bring about the end of this present age by bringing judgment upon wickedness and at the same time, pouring out his very own spirit on human beings right before and in conjunction with the final day, the close. Something Joel calls the great and glorious day of the Lord. He says, verse 17, In the last days, in the last days... Get that? In the last days. God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. He continues, I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Continues in verse 20. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter goes on in this whole sermon. It's his first sermon, by the way. He goes on in this, in his sermon, to connect this prophecy, this prophecy of the end, to not only what the people were seeing with the Spirit being poured out and the tongues and all of the stuff, but he connects it directly to the life, work, death, resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ. He says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. The miracles and the signs that Joel spoke about. Pause. Pause. We also know, though Peter doesn't mention it here, that all of Jerusalem experienced utter darkness on the day that Jesus was crucified. The very thing that Joel connects to the judgment of the world, Jesus himself understood that what he was doing was ushering in the end, a new age. Jesus, speaking about his impending arrest and crucifixion in in, in John chapter 12, says this, says this, now is the judgment of this world. Now is the judgment of this world. Jesus understood his his crucifixion as a judgment at the end of an age. Do you get that? You might be wondering, well, okay, I see a whole heck of a lot of pain, I see a lot of sickness, I see a lot of sin, I see a lot of suffering, I don't see a happy ending. Uh, And you'd be in good company as to being a little confused. If Jesus was bringing about some sort of end, then why are we still where we're at and seeing all the things that we still see? Um, You see, Pretty much everybody else missed what Jesus was up to, too. The Jewish people expected the Messiah. They expected God to come. They expected this passage in Joel God's gonna come, he's gonna wrap it up. He's gonna gonna do his thing, he's gonna bring judgment, we're gonna get favor, everything's gonna be closed, it's all gonna be good. When it happens, it happens. Whammo! But that's not what happened. That's not what happened. God had a bigger plan. How could it be that the end started, but it didn't finish? Listen, even the demons were confused about what was happening. One of them says to him in Matthew 8 29, What do you want with us, Son of God? They shouted, Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Why are you here? This isn't how this goes. What are you doing? This this is not the end. They are confused too. Because he enters history. He's bringing about the end. This is the beginning of the end. Jesus ushered in that end. The final lap of human history. Something theologians call, uh, this, this phenomena is the already but the not yet. The kingdom of God has been established in Jesus. That's what he came preaching. The time is at hand. The kingdom has come. With the, with the coming of Jesus, the kingdom has come. But it's not yet fully perfected and not yet fully complete. We live in a reality between times. We talk a lot about that here at Mercy Commons. The best analogy that I've ever heard of this is one I'm sure you've heard as well. Is of this current reality that we're in is that old one of World War II. The final blow to Hitler that won the war in Europe was called D-Day. This is when the Allies stormed the beaches of Normandy and they established a solid military position in Europe. Historians agree that D-Day was the beginning of the end. The war was essentially won. However, it wasn't until VE Day, 336 days later, that the Nazis finally surrendered. The war was already won, but the reality of the victory still needed to be carried through. Peter holds up Jesus and says, Listen, Israelites, this is the promise of the end. This is the Spirit being poured out on all flesh. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it, exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Messiah. This is important, Lord and Messiah. He is the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah. King, the earthly descendant of David, the proper king of Israel. And he is Lord, the heavenly son of God, the king of the universe. Peter sees here the reality of what Nick spoke about last week, that in Jesus, the earthly kingdom of Israel, represented by David's throne, And the heavenly kingdom of God and God's throne are brought together and united in Christ physically, spiritually, holistically. The kingdom has come in Christ. We as a church are hidden in Christ, we're hidden in Christ. We mysteriously join in the reality of living in the kingdom of God, in the age that is to fully come and still living in this present moment in our space and time. There's two things happening for us all the time. There is a delay. There's this process though, this outworking of this final victory. Just like the soldiers in World War II experienced for 336 days, the full surrender of our enemy is coming. But the good news is that we're not waiting by ourselves. If My first point this morning is, is, is essentially to show us that it's the same race. We are the continuation of the race. We are living in the time between times. We are living in the final chapter at any time. And by the way, you'll see it in the Old Testament all, all over the place. When people say, in, in the book of Hebrews starts off and it says, in, in these last days, God has spoke to us through His Son. It's it's everywhere. They understood that where they were living was at any moment this thing could be wrapped up. My second point here, though, is that the Holy Spirit enables and empowers us to run this final leg. We're not left by ourselves. Acts chapter 2 says that when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This morning, I'm not gonna have time to get into a full discussion about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how that all works. Um, Instead, I want to zero in on two ways we relate to and experience the Holy Spirit that are reflected directly in this passage, okay? Just, Just two things. The first is that, just as Peter says, everyone who repents, publicly trusts in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It happens. That's... Uh, guarantee that's what happens you receive you receive the holy spirit biblically there's only one immersion there's only one baptism of the holy spirit 1st corinthians chapter 12 verse 13 says for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body jews or greeks slave or free and all were made to drink of one spirit to trust in jesus is to be baptized with the holy spirit There is a beautiful picture of this in our text this morning. The beginning of Acts chapter 2 tells us that something really, really important, a little detail right at the very beginning, it was the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost is a Jewish holiday. It's a Jewish holiday, it's 50 days after the Passover. 50 days after the Passover. It's a feast where the Jewish people celebrate the anniversary of receiving the law. That's when they celebrate that. They celebrate the gift of receiving the law to themselves on the day of Pentecost. If you remember, if you remember from from Good Friday and Easter, that Jesus died as the Passover lamb, died on the weekend of Passover. He took away the sins of the world. Jesus' death and resurrection was a new exodus event. It was the true exodus. It was the true exodus. Jesus tells his students, he says, okay, after the Exodus event, hey, stay in, the, stay in Jerusalem until they receive uh, the promise of the Father. And here they are gathered together on the day of Pentecost, the day when God's people celebrate the receiving unto themselves the law of God. And it's on this day that they receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This is the fulfillment of the promise of the new covenant that Jeremiah spoke of when he said, quote, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. There is also a parallel here to the filling of the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the traveling tent, the traveling tent that the children of Israel set up in the middle of of their camp where God met with them. Inside the tabernacle was the law of God in the Ark of the Covenant. Numbers chapter 9 verse 15 says this, on the day that the tabernacle was set up, a cloud covered it. But from evening until morning, the cloud over the tabernacle looked like a pillar or a form of fire. Luke tells us on the day of Pentecost, when the people were filled with the Holy Spirit, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Each member of the church is mysteriously the tabernacle. The temple of the Holy Spirit is what we're told. the law of God written on our hearts. What the law was unable to do outside, God has done for us by the gift of not only the death and resurrection of his son, but the outpouring of the Holy Spirit into us. I think I may have uh, told this story before, but uh, forgive me, I'm getting old, so I repeat myself. Uh, <clears throat> I, you know, it was several, several years back, um, I was maybe 20 four years old, Um, and uh, I got a chance to go to Israel over the summer, and uh, lived in a little village just outside of Israel, or just outside of Jerusalem, um, where the Ark of the Covenant was kept for 20 years. In the Old Testament, you you hear the guy's name was Abinadab. So I live in this little village. It's a Muslim village. I was there as a missionary, Um, and uh, I remember sitting on the wall in this little village where the Ark of the Covenant had been kept for 20 years, and I remember just praying one one evening. I was just talking to God sitting on this wall, overlooking kind of the, the village, and I said something along the lines of, God, I just I just pray you'd bring your presence to this village like it like it was in the days when the when when your ark, the Ark of the Covenant, was right here in this village in the house of Abinadab. And God spoke to me very, very quickly. It was almost like before I finished my sentence, God said something that cut across my thoughts. And by the way, if the idea of hearing from God sounds weird to you, that's a tip that someone gave me a long time ago. It's like, you know how your own thoughts run on, right? Sometimes when God speaks, it kind of cuts across the grain of that. You're like, oh. (laughs) And before I got got my, my, my final word out of like, God, I wish you'd, you know, bring your spirit and your presence here like you did in the days of Abinadab. And he said, I did, I sent you. I'm not special. The God I serve is, and He indwells me, and He indwells you. You are the Ark of the Covenant, you are the tabernacle, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God does not desire to dwell in a house, He desires to be with you. He wants us to lift our heads. There's a reason that the scripture says he's the lifter of our heads. Church, you have nothing to be ashamed of. You are in Christ. Look him in the face. Embrace who you are. A new creation. Chosen before the foundations of the earth in Christ. Ha, that's good news. You have a God who loves you. The second way that the scripture here refers, uh, refers to our experience of the Holy Spirit is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us in Ephesians to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's something we can allow God to do in us. It's actually a command that he gives us, but we're not the ones who do it in the verse. I don't have time to get into that, but we let God do it to fill us. The filling of the Spirit tends to enable boldness. And clarity of what's true, empowerment for special tasks. This is clearly on display here in Peter himself. This is the bumbling, foot-in-mouth, Jesus-denying, simple fishermen standing up and boldly, articulately declaring to all of Jerusalem who Jesus is. This is the same dude who just denied even knowing him around a campfire because a girl said, aren't you one of the Galileans? This is that same guy. Same dude. And 3,000 people come into the church. Woo! What a ride. Jesus will take you on a ride. (laughs) Following Jesus is the best thing you can do. The same shift that happened in Peter, that same empowerment is available to each of us. The disciples that morning were used by God through speaking in another language. Luke tells us that they did that as the Spirit enabled them. This empowerment, these gifts that God gives, are not something we produce on our own. We don't whip this up. But we are to eagerly desire them. And we are to expect them. Remember, church, we're in Christ we are in the end, united with him in the reality of the coming kingdom, the coming age, the age to come. So according to Peter and Joel, the gifts of the Spirit are poured out from the right hand of the throne, and they break into our space and into our time. Just this week in our life group, Cornell Coca gave me permission to share this. Uh, he was sharing, uh, sharing how hard it's been uh, at work. I mean, coming through a pandemic, being in a hospital, uh, and not just that, but just a lot of things: a new position, a lot of stress, carrying a lot of different weight, feeling worn thin and worn out. Um, he had the courage to share that with us, and we got the opportunity to pray for him. Uh, and as we were praying, Melissa Lou, Melissa, um, saw a picture of Jesus standing on the boat, calming the terrible storm, calming a terrible storm, and then prayed that over him. After we finished praying. Cornell said that as soon as she mentioned her picture, he remembered a poster in his office that had a raging sea violently crashing against lava rocks. And God spoke to him as Melissa prayed. And by the way, he hates that po- <laughs> he hates that poster because that's how he feels. It's like this violent crashing waves and then there's fire and rocks. It's like, ah! right? Am I, am I right? Did I get that right, Cornell? Yeah. <laughs> And he said that God spoke to him as Melissa prayed and he said that he is there in the midst of his work and he is able to calm that sea. He's Lord of all. Melissa didn't pull a rabbit out of her hat. She didn't do a nice trick. She doesn't have special powers. She's connected to the age to come through the Holy Spirit. God shared with her what he knows about what was going on and her impression and picture perfectly aligned with something that was in Cornell's world and didn't have any clue. This is the reality of the empowered church. Healing, deliverance, prophecy, the gifts of the Spirit flow from the inbreaking of the age to come, the life of heaven invading our present time. This means, brothers and sisters, that when we enter the room, things can change. You are the adult in the room because of who we carry with us. (laughs) My question and challenge for you and for me is do we anticipate this as normal? Do we recognize the immense ability? and 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 what god wants to do and can do at any moment because the holy spirit's with us god can speak and god can act and he can change someone's life like that i'm sure we all have stories my third and final point that we see from acts chapter 2 is that the gathered physical church helps to keep us on course it's the same race Spirit empowers us to run, and the church helps us stay in the race. Luke tells us that the disciples devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the Word of God, and to fellowship, to being with one another, to breaking bread, and to prayer. They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Band, you guys can join me uh, back, back up here. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but the idea of the organized church has taken some hits over the years, especially the last handful. And especially in the Western world. Failures, scandals, disappointments, frustrations. Listen, if you hang around long enough in any church, in any church anywhere, I don't care about denominations, size, it doesn't matter. If you hang around long enough, you're gonna experience disappointment. You're gonna experience frustration. Uh, and to some degree hurt. That's because the church is still filled with human beings, and it's not yet VE Day. <laughs> D Day has happened, and we're we're trying to learn to work this thing out with one another, and to learn to love one another. Some people who have experienced hurts in the world and then in the church have had a tendency to give up on the church or to believe that it's not a necessary part of daily life or weekly rhythm to to be a part of. A dominant cultural value in the West is the concept of just individual autonomy and freedom. Freedom to do what I want, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. While there's a lot of really good things about that, like personal responsibility and courage to try new things and start new things and creativity, all, all this really good stuff, it's not necessarily a kingdom value. It's not necessarily an exact kingdom value. We see here in Acts that the people of God, hidden in Christ as a part of his church, had come together to share a common reality. They loved one another. They shared with one another. They prayed for one another. They ate with one another. They were devoted to the word of God and to being with one another with sincere and glad hearts. The church, and this is not a plug for Mercy Commons. This is a plug for any place that preaches Jesus and loving one another may have its problems, but it's still the best place to be healed. It's the best place to find help. It's the best place to find challenge to grow in Christ-likeness. It's the best place to experience the joy of the kingdom. That's God's idea. Dr. Kurt Thompson, a psychiatrist and an expert in interpersonal biology, and just a dude who really loves Jesus, by the way, compared the church to a hospital. said, in hospitals, sometimes patients acquire infections caused by being in a hospital. You may unfortunately acquire sepsis from being in a hospital, but a hospital is still the best place to be treated for anything, including sepsis. It's the same with the church. The church is God's vehicle to heal us, to help us, to remind us of who we are, and to support us in the race. You see, Cornell would have missed out on the blessing of Melissa's prayer if he hadn't been there the other night and come together with God's people. In the same way, he would have missed out if Melissa and Jimmy hadn't gathered for prayer to be with one another. On top of that, I wouldn't be able to share this example with all of you if that hadn't happened. Please do not hear what I'm not saying. You don't, you don't hear what I am saying? I don't know. One of those. Don't get it twisted. Is that better? I'm not talking about uh, attendance or checking a religious box or that you gotta be at everything. What I'm talking about is valuing the gathered body and the anticipation that God may wanna do something through you. And if you're not there, you're not there. You understand? That could be a coffee with a friend, that could be in your life group, that could be here on Sunday after, anywhere the Holy Spirit is with you. I need to wrap this up. Ah. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Brothers and sisters, D-Day has come. Jesus has conquered. The ultimate end is not in question. We are living in the continuation of Jesus' mission. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit and while we wait for VE Day, God has given us one another to watch each other's backs to heal one another's wounds, and to celebrate every inch of territory liberated from enemy control. We eagerly await the return of our King. But until then, let us continue to gather together around an empowered table. Amen.
1: Church, you have nothing to be ashamed of. Look at your savior in his eyes, as a new creation seated in the heavenly places. He does not want to live in sticks and stones, but he desires to dwell in you. These are just some words that Sean said this morning that I just feel God highlighting. Guys, there is a massive difference between trying to obey God on earth while you wait to get to heaven and living as God's redeemed sons and daughters, bringing the culture of heaven to earth. That's what we're called to do. That's why God says, never forget that you once were sojourners. When we enter his family, we're just a different type of sojourner. We sojourn on earth while being citizens of heaven, bringing the will of God to earth. Sean said that uh, at the birth of the church we saw, We saw them creating a common reality of the love of God. This is what we are to cultivate and to invite others to participate in. It's what we've seen throughout the Luke series, this table that is open to all mankind. In Holy Spirit, an acknowledgement of this confession of faith that we have made this morning, that we stand hungry and expectant we pray to a good father who will not abandon us or forsake us that means he never leaves us and won't do bad won't do harm to us so an acknowledgement of that in the in this collective body of faith gathered in expectation and a hunger Lord we pray that you would deposit your spirit in a way that brings revelation healing and gifting now Spirit, I pray that you would help people to understand lies that they have been deceived by now in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray that as you send your spirit in our midst, that you would unlock things that have been hidden, gifts of healing, prophecy, faith, service, encouragement, whatever it is, Lord, would you do that? Would you beautify your body? And Lord, our ask, is that our lives together would resemble the words in these pages, that we would be willing to be radically sacrificial and generous, having everything in common, and that we would be in awe of the work that you are doing. And so Spirit of God, in this dry land, send streams of living water of truth of Jesus. Would you saturate us, equip us and empower us, I pray these precious words in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.